Sadly, it's a familiar story. Yesterday, a retired Christian brother was jailed for three and a half years for sexually abusing a pupil. Former school principal Paul Hendrick pleaded guilty to indecently assaulting Kenneth Grace over a four-year period in the early 1980s, while Kenneth was a vulnerable schoolboy. The court in Dublin heard that Hendrick had expressed extreme remorse. But what about the Christian Brothers as an organisation? Critics say it has adopted a cynical strategy to avoid liability in the civil courts, where Kenneth Grace and others are now trying to win damages. Today, are the Christian Brothers using a legal loophole to hinder abuse victims in their fight for justice? I talked to Irish Times reporter Colm Keena. Colm, we heard about how former principal and Christian brother Paul Hendrick was sentenced for indecently assaulting one of his students, Kenneth Grace, over four years in the 1980s. Now, Grace has waived his right to anonymity so that Hendrick can be identified. Can you can you tell us more about Paul Hendrick? Yes, sure. He's from Dublin. His connections with Western Row School in the city centre of Dublin go back a long way. He was a former student, he was a teacher, and then he was principal of the school. He uh, played a big role in the renovation of the school buildings. He oversaw the move, the change in the school from a a boys' school to a a co-ed school. And in 2009, he was given the Rowe Award, R-O-W Award, by the uh, Past Pupils Union of Western Rowe for his contribution to the school. So he was a very prominent uh, Christian brother. Now, Who is Kenneth Grace and what did he allege was done to him by Hendrick in the early 1980s? Kenneth Grace uh, was a student in Westland Row. When he was 13, his father died. He was targeted, I suppose it's fair fair to say then, by, by Paul Hendrick in the school. And he used to be brought into rooms on his own, a cold shed as well, I think. And they would wrestle and then progress to wrestling in uh, stripped down to their underwear and sometimes Hendrick would get uh, Kenneth Grace to whip him or 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 would him, himself whip Grace Kenneth Grace told the court the criminal courts that he felt uh, you know he didn't know what was going on he was afraid to tell anybody about it um and he said that the the abuse happened then outside the school uh, in school in trips down the country as well and he said he, he doesn't consider himself a survivor of this abuse, but it's something that he has, has had to deal with uh, on a daily basis uh, for the rest of his life and that it's left deep emotional scars. So Hendrick groomed him for Hendrick's own sexual gratification. Um, now, the Christian brothers, I, I think they were perhaps the first order who were in the spotlight for child sexual abuse um, 20, 30 years ago. And the order came out and apologised for the perpetration of sexual abuse in 1998. Um, And while that's, you know, two and a half decades ago, the reckoning continues to this day. Do we have any idea of just how many allegations of child sexual abuse have been made against members of the Christian Brothers? I don't have a number to hand, but of course there was a huge number of allegations of sexual and physical abuse as part of their role involving uh, institutions during the 20th century 
These were uh, investigated by um, the Ryan Commission. One of the brothers who had dealings in a leadership way with the apology that you just referred to, the commission itself, and gave evidence to the commission about this whole abuse uh, disaster. It was a man called Brother David Gibson. Brother Gibson uh, spoke to the commission about how they felt that the putting in place of redress scheme and so on uh, prompted people to come forward and it made them a bit less, a bit more suspicious that people were out trying to profit from it and, and, and get their hands on money. Now, the Christian Brothers were a major force in Irish education since the foundation of the state. What impact has the legacy of abuse by its members had on the organisation? I was speaking privately with somebody who, who's been involved in this issue, you know, not a Catholic church person, but somebody who's been privately, who's been involved professionally in this issue with the Christian Brothers, with victims of sexual abuse. Their view was that the Brothers are outliers because of the enormous amount of abuse that's come to light. The fact that so many of the brothers joined the congregation when they were young boys, really, 14. They lived together for so long and then they discovered that, you know, their whole lives are tainted by, by this, this disaster and that all of this was going on and an order that was respected is now uh, in disgrace and that they, they are just traumatised the vast majority of the surviving members of the congregation are elderly and they're traumatised and completely incapable of dealing with what's happened. So yesterday we saw the outcome of the criminal case. Now, Kenneth Grace has, like many men who were abused as children in schools uh, run by Christian brothers and abused by Christian brothers, sought to bring civil cases. And, and sometimes these cases follow the criminal cases. Sometimes they're taken in parallel in 2019, Grace initiated a case suing the Christian brothers for the abuse he suffered at school in Westland Row. But he fairly immediately ran into significant obstacles, didn't he? He did, yes, he did. If I go to the High Court and I want to uh, sue somebody, I have to identify who I'm suing. The difficulty with suing the congregation is that it's an unincorporated body. So that means if a group of people on a street in Dublin get together and say, let's, you know, call ourselves a residence association. We'll organise that we clean up the street and that we put in a flower bed and so on. And then somebody somewhere wants to sue that uh, residence association. It doesn't have a legal um, personality. It's not incorporated. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. It's just a group of members. And most religious congregations, including the Christian Brothers, are like that. The Christian Brothers is just its membership. Um, it doesn't have a, a Christian Brothers Limited to which all of these people belong. And so when you go to court, unlike, say, suing the Irish Times, you can sue, sue the Irish Times as an incorporated body. You can't sue the Christian Brothers because it's just a, 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 an association of members that's unincorporated. So what usually happens is a person would go to court to sue a religious order and the order would nominate somebody who would then represent the order and could be sued as a representative of the congregation and could fight the case. That's what usually happens. Um, but in this instance, the uh, Christian brothers have opted 
not to for not to put forward a nominee who could be sued on behalf of, of the congregation. Coming up, if the Christian brothers can't be sued, and if they won't nominate a representative, then who can be held to account in the courts? To find out, I continue my conversation with Colm Keener. Welcome back. Colm, we heard before the break about this bizarre set of circumstances where one can't sue the Christian brothers as it is an incorporated organisation. And in the case of Kenneth Grace, no one has come forward to represent the Christian brothers in court either. And that leaves him in a sort of legal limbo. So what can Kenneth Grace and his legal team do? Where does this leave him? Well, what you do then is you sue all the members of the organisation, as I understand it, at the time that the alleged wrongdoing occurred. So if you were suing your residence association, you'd sue all the, the people who attended the meetings of the residence association, let's say, where a particular decision was made. So in this instance, they had to sue all the members of the order who were members of the order uh, between 1980 and 1984 when the abuse, which is which Hendrik is pleaded guilty to, occurred. How did they know who they were? Well, this is it. So they didn't know. So they, they asked the Christian brothers, can you tell us? And the, the Christian brothers said, no. So then they had to go to court, had to go into the high court and get an order from the judge that the congregation should provide a list of names. And there's more than 100. And... Uh, then they have to serve papers on all these people. If they can find them, because presumably some have left the order since the 1980s. Yeah, and some are, some are abroad. Some are in, in you know, nursing homes and so on. And very expensive, by the way. Very expensive. And it took them quite some time to do this. And then when they came back to the court, they got permission to serve the, the papers on all these various people. And um, then later on, they were told, well, actually, 14 people who are on the original list are dead. So then they wanted to get in contact with the legal representatives of, of those people's estate. Again, they asked, could they get the help of Brother Gibson in getting this information? And he did not want to do, do that voluntarily, he told the court. And then they got an order from the court that he should uh, assist with them. And then it turned out that 13 of the 14 uh, deceased brothers had left their estates to Brother Gibson. They had to get a court order before they before they could get that information. So they have served papers on approximately, I think, 90 of the brothers. And they haven't come forward. They haven't nominated solicitors. They haven't gotten involved. Um, so what's happening is that the, the court is granting applications from uh, Coleman Legal on behalf of Mr. Grace that they get judgment in default. So they're accumulating judgments in default against these elderly members of the congregation. That means that every member against whom a judgment is made is jointly and severally liable for whatever damages the court might eventually award. I suppose, you know, looking at this, you'd have to think the Christian brothers apologised in the 1990s, this fulsome apology. What did it really mean? Because you would think what that apology should have meant would be 100% cooperation with any abuse cases that came down the track. But, you know, from what you're saying, that has not been the case. Now, we know that 
this legal strategy and you've outlined there how it has hindered Grace in, in the speed and in taking his civil case. Has the same strategy been used in other cases? Yes, yes. I was speaking earlier this year um, with a solicitor with Coleman Legal called Catherine Coleman. That firm represents victims of historical sexual abuse who are, have made allegations and sought damages from a number, number of orders, religious orders. And um, she says that the Christian brothers are outliers in this and that their decision not to nominate somebody to represent the order for the purposes of the case is, you know, not something the other orders are doing, that it's making them what she called a little bit untouchable and that it's putting the... the uh, people who are taking these cases, what she said, through the ringer. So they are outliers and um, it seems there's 30 or so cases currently before the High Court where people are having to deal with this uh, procedural mess. Now, just about all of the abusers being sued in these uh, Catholic institutional cases are elderly, like Hendrick, for example, he's 75. And all the legal roadblocks mean that these cases take years. I mean, legal cases take years anyway, but with, with this extra layer of, of roadblocks, uh, it's taking even longer. Now, maybe it's cynical, but do you think that underlying the strategy is that the abuser will die before the cases ever get to court? The cases against the membership for vicarious liability. So it's against the congregation, not against... Um, Paul Hendrick. So, as I understand it, even if he did die, the 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 case would, would could persist. The the question that arises in my mind is, where does it get to if all of these elderly brothers have no means? Um, where are the assets that would pay for any damages? The Law Reform Commission is actually looking at the issue of the problems that arise when you try to sue an unincorporated association. And uh, I interviewed the chairman of the commission, Mr. Justice Frank Clark, the former chief justice, about this earlier on in the year. And he, po he pointed out to an interesting thing. A lot of these orders, because they're unincorporated associations, they, they own their property or, and their wealth by way of trustees. They don't own the property directly because the orders are not legal entities. So... The question arises to people who are looking for damages, whether they can break into these trusts, so to speak, and get access to the property that's held on trust for the for the congregations. The Law Reform is, Commission is looking at the problems that arise when you try to uh, sue residents' associations or Catholic uh, or religious congregations that are unincorporated. And as part of that work, it intends to give what they call a roadmap to the government, where if the government does want to bring in a law that would allow people uh, get past the trust structures to get access to assets for the purposes of people who want to collect damages, uh, they'd be able to follow that roadmap. But of course, it would be a decision for the government to decide whether it thought it was that was a good idea or not. Now, Kenneth Grace does seem to be a little far from that now. Where is his legal case now? Well, he's got judgments and defaults against... Um, a large number of uh, the brothers, uh, but it still it still hasn't gone ahead. The case actually hasn't gone ahead to the, to decide that you know to in terms of assessing any damages that he's entitled to. Um, so it's still, I would think, um, an unusual case and a complicated case, and it'll be interesting and 
uh, to see how it how it um, progresses. The the fact that they've got judgment against in default against so many of the members of the congregation um, would seem to indicate that he's making progress, but it's taking a long time. Like it's four, taken four years to get to this stage. Now he's obviously a very very tenacious man and determined. How is he in all this? Well, I haven't spoken to him myself. Um, you know, he did, did decide to waive his anonymity. He seems to to be determined. I think he's got his back, the backing of Coleman Legal and Fairness to the case because this is accumulating a lot of legal uh, uh, costs, all these orders and sending out writs to 100 people plus and so on. So there does seem to be a determination there not to be defeated by the strategy that the congregation has adopted. Are Christian brothers active in, look, they're not as active in Irish life as they once were, but are they active in Irish life now, like in schools, for example? And how do you think, how do you think cases like Kenneth Grace's impact on that? And, you know, how does it diminish the the brothers' moral authority? Well, the vast majority of the surviving brothers in Ireland are, are elderly, but there are you know, younger men in, um, in their 60s and 70s who are still overseeing a lot of the congregation's activities. And then there is this association with the, the Edmund Rice School Trust, which I think is about 100 plus schools in Ireland. Um, there are issues to do with land. So that, a lot of that feeds back to the congregation. When you look online about the, about the congregation, a lot of the focus is in what we used to call the developing world. So charitable, educational, a lot of work in the developing world. There is money, there's some substantial land sales have occurred in, in Ireland over the years. So it's not clear how much money there is out there, but I think there is quite a bit. And, uh, and uh, this might be used... Uh, the focus, certainly from reading the material that's available online, is the focus is very much on uh, traditional sort of Christian brothers' work, but in poorer countries outside of the first world. And uh, so how all this kind of activity uh, can square with that ongoing charitable Christian work, you might say, uh, the only way I can get my head around it is to go back to the point about um, you know, that you find this whole thing just really traumatic and they're finding it really difficult uh, to deal with. And there might be a, a certain paranoia uh, out there that, you know, people are after their assets that don't deserve them. Thanks very much, Colm. That's it for today. For more investigative journalism from Colm Keena, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>